0: the mind of Christ. Read that far in God's word. Every seeker of wisdom or sage in the history of the world has wanted to discover what God gave us in this passage. Here we find the answers to some of the biggest questions of religion, spiritual mysteries made known, divine revelation opened up, God's wisdom and God's knowledge shared with us, the meaning of our lives and the future of our lives and eternal glories in heaven is all shown to us in this passage. We can reduce it to one word, wisdom, and a descriptive word, spiritual, spiritual wisdom. In these three chapters, the unit in which we're studying 1 Corinthians chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul used the term wisdom 16 times. Why? because it's a theme for him. He's unpacking what the world's wisdom is as over against what God's wisdom is. It's an important word. It was an important word in the ancient city of Corinth. The audience to whom he's writing would be quite familiar with this idea and all how the word wisdom had been misused in the city of Corinth. But in these three chapters, Paul's rescuing the word wisdom and putting God's definition to it as a term and explaining what God's wisdom means. He was restoring that word from its wrong use to the correct definition of true wisdom or godly wisdom. So here in our passage, he has a contrast. A contrast between us and them. A contrast between those of us who have God's wisdom and those who only have human wisdom. So we see this. If you'll see this analogy or this uh, comparison, verse 7, we have future glory. But in verses 6 and 8, they, the rulers of this age, do not. Verse 9, we are the ones who love God. Verse 8, they crucified the Lord of glory. By definition, do not love the Lord. We, verse 12, have God's spirit. They have the spirit of the world, verse 12. We are called spiritual persons, verse 15. They are called natural or unspiritual persons in verse 14. So the contrast is laid out through the entire passage of us and them, of those who have true wisdom from God and those who only have human wisdom. It's talking to us as believers. And so that brings us to our main point, if you're using your bulletin outline, Christ has given us his spirit so that we know and understand his thoughts, his wisdom, and his mind. Number one, our access to the thoughts of God, verses 11 and 12. Number two, our ability to know spiritual wisdom, verses 13, 14, and 15. And number three, our incredible gift, the mind of Christ. So we see how this is expounded at the cross. Christ's death and resurrection has made us spiritual persons. We're alive, we have spiritual life, we are receiving the gift of the Spirit of Christ, indwelling us as the believers of God. So he's building on these concepts as Paul unpacks this passage. So first, our access to the thoughts of God. Notice how he begins in in verse 11. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? Imagine yourself walking through this coming summer, the Wisconsin State Fair. And you hear somebody uh, shouting out, uh, I can read your mind. Stop, and for a dollar, I can read your mind. Would you be intrigued? Would you stop? Would you have this person read your mind or maybe for entertainment? But you wouldn't actually take that person seriously, right? No one knows your thoughts except for you. That's an initial core truth that he's laying out for us in verse 11. And then he goes on, reading the part. The next parts from verse 11 into 12. So, also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand the things freely given us by God. So the next thing that Paul does after laying down the basic truth that no one can read your mind, that you alone know your thoughts, he builds on that now in his logic. And he says next, this common way of comparing two things during Paul's generation. He used ancient Greek and Roman philosophical principle of comparison here, and they use this as a persuasive strategy in ancient writing and speaking. We do similarly today. We call it comparing apples to apples rather than comparing apples to oranges. It's the same idea of comparing the things that ought to be compared. The ancient Greek and Romans called it like by like or same by same. It, mean, it meant one individual who is a certain sort of person, is known by another individual who is the same sort of person. A quilter is known by another quilter. Oh, why do you tie a knot there? Ask any quilter, they'll tell you so the thread won't uh, um, slip through before you're finished. A gardener understands another gardener. Why do you have tarps over your flower bed? Ask any gardener, they'll tell you because it's the overnight frost that we're expecting. A sports fan speaks with a sports fan. A hunter speaks to another hunter. Paul's basic point here is clear to us. A human knows another human. We all know all sorts of things on the human plane of existence because we are ourselves human. And that's exactly Paul's crucial next point. No one knows your mind, and we all operate in the realm of the human. But see, in religious pursuits seeking religious wisdom, we're not seeking merely human wisdom. All sages down through the history of the world have sought something beyond human wisdom. They're seeking divine wisdom, God's wisdom. So that leads to the next logical question, who can reach above our category of humanity and reach up and find something in the category above ourselves, the category of the divine or God, and gather for ourselves God's wisdom. Who can go beyond the human plane of existence and get to know God and borrow his wisdom? And to follow the ancient philosophical principle of comparing, God alone knows God. Like by like, only God knows God. No one else is God. You see where he's going with the logic? So for explaining the things of God to us humans, there must be some kind of bridge from the divine down to us some kind of connection point without that bridge without that condescension from god to us we humans can't reach his wisdom and can't attain it at all so what's the bridge what's the connection point answer the spirit of god how does that work the spirit provides the link the divine interface with humans the spirit already knows the things of god for he's god he knows the things of God the Father. He knows the things of God the Son. He knows the things of God like by like. He has the information about God. As Paul wrote at the end of verse 10, the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. It's no problem for the Spirit of God to know the things of God. The issue is whether we humans know the things of God. The Spirit is part of the Godhead. The one God exists in three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was given to us so that the Spirit can reveal to us humans what's otherwise unreachable, otherwise imperceptible, the very things and wisdom of God. Namely, as he's covered in the previous chapter, Christ crucified. So verse 2 refers to those human beings living in this age who are not in congruity with God, who have only the spirit of this world. The spirit of the world, you see it in verse 12. It means foundationally they don't they don't even understand God. So the gift of the spirit is only given to Christians and it's what enables us to have understanding of God and the things of God. In verse 12 he goes on to say this phrase, things freely given us by God. Freely given, it has this verb to give freely conveying the idea of giving things without regard to earning, without regard to payment, without regard to merit. Whatever God gives us we didn't pay for. Whatever God gives us, we didn't deserve. Whatever God gives us, we didn't earn. Whatever God gives us are never because we're of the caliber or good enough that we ought to receive God's gifts. It's one of the purposes of God giving us his Holy Spirit so that the Spirit may help us understand this, that everything we get from God is a bonus because it's given to us by his grace. As sinners, we have no business having the access to the holy God. But we have it anyway. We have access to the thoughts of the holy God. That is by God's grace. That is only by God's spirit. We really scored when we were given access to the thoughts of God himself. I said before, it's what all the sages in all the history of the world wanted. We have, and it's explained in this passage. We move on to our second point, our ability to know this spiritual wisdom. Verses 13 to 15, allow me to read again. And we impart this, give it, right? In words not taught by human wisdom, or, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one so beginning in verse 13 paul uses the word spiritual you could put a capital s if you will on the word spiritual there to describe the word truth he's referring to the holy spirit spiritual truth is spiritual in the sense that it's the spirit teaching that truth capital s spiritual truth what sort of true things does the Spirit teach? Sinner rescuing truths. Christ crucified truths. Truths known only to the Holy Spirit until the Holy Spirit reveals them to humans. To whom does the Spirit then teach these spiritual truths? Only to those who are themselves spiritual. Spiritually alive. Having been given Life from the dead, light instead of darkness, having been converted. Those persons who are constantly and directly influenced by the Spirit of God who's living inside of them, inside of us. Only spirit-indwelt Christians receive capital S spiritual truths about our salvation. We know where we're going. We know our relationship to the Holy God, and it's because of the Holy Spirit's work in us to teach us these things. So Paul's point's well taken. To say the same point from the opposite direction, for those who are not Christians, it means that the natural human mind, the unassisted human mind, unassisted by the Spirit, no matter the level of IQ of that mind, no matter the mental ability of that mind, remains unable to grasp or fathom the depths of truth regarding spiritual topics of rescue, salvation, and redemption, basically how sinners go to heaven. The human mind, no matter how bright it is, cannot grasp these things without the Spirit. Paul's urging his readers to remember the important and essential role of the Spirit. The human mind, without the Spirit's help, cannot understand the things of God. Sure, the natural mind could read the words, read our our passage, could read the whole Bible, could go into study of the Bible. I've told you before there's people who are getting PhDs in biblical literature. Fine. And a human mind, they can read the words. They could come to this service. They could come to other services and hear the Bible expounded, hear the gospel proclaimed. They could even understand how the gospel works. They could get it. Intellectually, but that same natural mind cannot embrace the gospel, cannot adopt its truth for oneself, cannot take on the disposition of a believer without the work of the Holy Spirit of God. It's not possible any more than it's possible to take a tower and call it Babel, the Tower of Babel, and build it all the way up to heaven and climb up there and walk your way into heaven. It's not possible. This Status is granted to human minds only in one way, by the Spirit granting it savingly. The Spirit converts. Only the Spirit brings a person from darkness to light. Only the Spirit grants spiritual wisdom to spiritual persons. Now we get how this applies for conversion. That's clear. We've expounded that. We've got that. But here Paul is going beyond the topic of conversion. Do we realize that this applies to us for finding spiritual wisdom through all of life? for finding other deep biblical truths? Hear the challenge of the sharp question from one of the friends of Job, Job 11.7. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? Job 11.7. It's like a dog whistle that we can't hear with human ears. We don't have the ability to hear the ability to access spiritual things unless the Spirit opens our ears. Revelation 2, seven. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Have we been given an ear to hear the Spirit's voice speaking to us in the church? The prideful, modern person thinks that he or she sits in judgment on God. Just listen carefully to how your neighbors speak, how your coworkers speak, how influencers out there speak. They think they sit in judgment on God, and they'll tell God what's what, and they'll tell the Christian church what's what, and they'll give you their spin on the Bible. But it's actually the other way around. It's God who sits in judgment on them. The Spirit searches everything, we're told in verse 10, which means nothing escapes the Spirit's attention. He knows what they said, and He knows what they're thinking, even if they don't say it. Hebrews 4:13 No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Hebrews 4:13 Other people have a completely different view of religious things. They think they're sneaky enough and elusive enough that the spirit couldn't find out or become aware of just what they've done and what they're doing that God doesn't take notice. He's busy managing waterfalls and stuff, so I'll just sneak around with my dirty little life and God won't know the difference. That's actually their worldview. But we read in a simple verse, Proverbs 15.3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good, Proverbs 15.3. And this simple truth is repeated throughout Scripture, that God is this way, and it's not just true from the negative angle, the Spirit noticing our sins. It's also true from the positive angle, the Spirit noticing our good actions of loving service to him and his people. Take comfort in Hebrews 6.10. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Hebrews 6.10. God keeps watch on the good as well. Having written of all this now, Paul is ready to build this contrast in verses 14 and 15 between a natural person, verse 14, and the spiritual person in verse 15. So he shows what happens in verse 14 when the Spirit's missing from the life of a human person. We're asked to take a look at a person who resists the revelation of the Spirit and rejects as foolish the things of the Spirit. Verse 15, in contrast, we're asked to take a look now in the contrast. What happens when a person receives the benefit of the reception of the Spirit? Verse 14, one without the Spirit. Verse 15, one with the Spirit. Take a look at each. Do the contrast. And first a statement. The spiritual person is able to make judgments about all things. It's the opposite or the reverse of the previous statement back in verse 14, that the unspiritual person was not able to make such judgments about spiritual things. The opposites are both true. It's opposite ways of saying the same truth the unspiritual or natural person is not able to make discerning observations about religion about christianity about the things of god about spiritual truth but the spiritual person is able to differentiate and now moving on to verse 15 within a second statement paul wrote that this person this spiritual person is himself not subject to any man's judgment Possessing the power or ability of spiritual discernment equals freedom from human scrutiny. Who can tell such a person that he's wrong? Liberal persons might turn to the Christian and accuse the Christian of being old-fashioned and holding to an ethic from the dark ages. Nobody believes that anymore, they say to you and to the Christian. But the spiritual person is not indicted by such a false charge. Why? Because the Christian has his ethic on a higher authority. Because the Christian has his ethic on the good authority of the third person of the Godhead, even the Holy Spirit of God. And on the authority of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, the spiritual person evaluates all things and says, I will stand by that biblical ethic. That way of living is above the criticisms of the natural persons. We move to our third thing, just this final verse, that incredible gift from God, the mind of Christ. What in the world does all that mean? And it fits right in with what he's been describing. It's just another way to say it. Let me read verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We're not here to tell God what to do, what to think, how to run his universe, right? Who has understood the mind of Christ so as to instruct him? We really think you ought to do this, Lord. (laughs) That's what your neighbors are doing. This is what the natural person does. They question God's character because he doesn't operate the universe the way they think it should be operated. But The Spirit of Christ gives us a different viewpoint. The Spirit of Christ gives us knowledge of the inner workings of God with us as sinners, the workings of God with the world. And we study his word and we see how God typically operates is how he's operating now. The Spirit gives us eyes to see, ears to hear, spiritual truths. We have Minds that can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. If you go back to the previous passage in verse 9, he's talking about what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and no heart of man has imagined, yet we know what it is that God has provided for us. We're learning the mind of Christ even though we don't have the details. And to say we have the mind of Christ is to say we understand the good news. We understand the basic message of the Bible, the grace of God to us, that we understand and believe it. The gospel of grace. We we know God. We've gained new understanding that the world doesn't have. Consider how Paul put it elsewhere. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son. So God the Father did not spare his own son, but gave his son up for us all. How will he, God the Father, not also... With Christ, graciously give us all things. If He gave us Christ live in person to then be beaten and crucified unto death and buried, and rise again and ascend to His right hand to be coronated as King to send His Spirit, why would He not also give us the mind of Christ? Why would He not also give us the thoughts of Christ? One of the things that God graciously gives us is knowing how God thinks, knowing how God thinks about us as sinners knowing the mind of Christ regarding our sins and our relationship to God. We don't tell God what we think he should do with our sins. We don't tell other people, I don't think God will be upset about this or about that. I figure. We come to God and know what God says to us about what Christ has done about our sins. And that that price and no less price had to be paid for us to be redeemed. We don't instruct God. We don't give God a piece of our mind. God instructs us and he gives us the whole mind of Christ. Because the Spirit indwells us, we interpret spiritual truths, such as the complete forgiveness of all of our sins, because Jesus died for our sins and rose again. We know the one place for sinners to be cleansed. As far as Christ looks at the world, we share that same worldview and the spiritual truth ourselves. There's only one place for cleansing. There's only one true religion. is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We know Christ personally. We know how Jesus thinks about sin, about sinners, about sinners who are redeemed, and about sinners still stuck in their sins. How does that work? Let's say your coworker, or your neighbor, or your extended relative, not a believer, not necessarily hostile, but just confused. They come to you, and they know you go to church, and you say you're a Christian, so they ask you a question. Hey, could I just talk to you this privately? Do you think that I could pray to God for forgiveness for how I messed up? And then they tell you how they messed up. Do you think I could pray for God's guidance to get out of the mess I got myself into? And they put these questions to you. And you say, Dude, I have no idea. Right? How am I supposed to know what God thinks? Ask God. You have an answer, don't you? That's the mind of Christ you've been trained in the scriptures, you understand how the gospel works, the Bible passages that you've studied, and you can say to your dear brother, your dear sister, your dear coworker, friend, yes, there's forgiveness for you in Christ Jesus. I know exactly what God will say. He'll say, well done, forgiven. Uh, you have the righteousness of Christ given to you. you, even get God saying to you, well done, my servant. Yes, God forgives. Yes, God guides us through messed up situations. How do we know that? Because the Spirit has taught us that God the Father did not spare God the Son, but gave him up for us all. What would God withhold from us? Forgiveness? No. Spiritual guidance? No. He would grant these things. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37-39, when Jesus summarized the law, he said, we love God with all our heart and strength and mind. And mind. We love God with our mind. What does that mean? Training our minds to think merciful, think gracious thoughts like Christ Jesus is. God is holy, more holy than you can begin to fathom or understand. But he's also merciful, more merciful than you can begin to fathom or understand. And so we think God's thoughts after him, he's always holy. He's always merciful thinking God's thoughts after him is loving God with our minds. Romans 11, listen to Paul I, I, I expound on this. Romans eleven, thirty-three to twelve two. 2. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable, ununderstandable under, are his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him... And through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be, listen, transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? Romans eleven thirty three 33 to 12, verse 2. He seems to be expounding on this idea of the mind of Christ. We already possess the thoughts of Christ through his teachings. The mind of Christ by his spirit. And yet we're called to renew our minds with the teachings of Christ by his word. We're already in line with the thoughts of God and we're called to stay in line with the thoughts of God by continuing to study his word. The thoughts of God are all about forgiving us and guiding us to fully accept and embrace his forgiveness and be assured of our status as children of God. And as a result, to also joyfully receive his sanctifying grace for us to go out and live more and more like Christ in daily life, the things we say, the things we do, the things we think. Our minds are to be the minds of Christ and Christians. We desire to fulfill God's law, to do God's will, to reflect his glory with our very lives, It means continuing to think the thoughts of Jesus and continuing to speak like Jesus would speak, continuing to love like Christ loves and continuing to live like Christ would have us live. We have the Spirit of Christ to help us with all of that every single day. His death and resurrection has made us spiritual persons and Christ by his Spirit has taken up residence inside of us. We are richly blessed, incredibly blessed This incredible gift of the mind of Christ is the same as saying we have the Bible and we have the spirit of God. What have we seen? Christ has given us his spirit so we know and understand his thoughts, his wisdom, his mind. We've seen our access to the thoughts of God, our ability to know the spiritual wisdom and the incredible gift of the mind of Christ. And my conclusion is just one thing. Realize the value of our access to Christ's spirit, word, and wisdom. I'll say it again realize the value of our access to Christ's spirit, word, and wisdom. Human words can entertain. Human words can motivate, can be exciting. Uh, Worldly wisdom. For example, would you listen to a person speak to you about reading your mind? Wouldn't that be interesting? It'd be rather entertaining, rather exciting. All human words. Spiritual words reveal God's wisdom, the revelation of the things of God. There's no other place to get them but from God, His Word, His Spirit. The preaching of the cross might not be as entertaining, as motivational, as exciting as other speakers speaking on other topics using human wisdom. But by God's word and by God's spirit, the preaching of the cross reveals the most important thing that any human being needs. How the holy God can receive and welcome sinners like us. That is the most important thing that we need. Paul wrote elsewhere, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus. Sometimes people do ask us as Christians, do you think God's mad at me? Have you ever had a coworker ask you that? A friend, an extended family member, do you think God is mad at me? Maybe all this junk's happening in my life because God is judging me. People start to try to figure stuff out and think about it. They ask you, do you think God's mad at me? Rather than just saying, I don't know. We actually are able to answer spiritual questions about God, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the anger of God, the mind of God, the salvation of God. Because we have the mind of Christ, we have Christ crucified, and we can tell them all about it. How do we have the mind of Christ? How do we little people have the mind of Christ? How did that ever happen? Wisdom of Christ and the mind of Christ was given to us by Christ. Because of his death and his resurrection, he's made us spiritual persons. Please realize the value of our access to Christ's spirit, word, and wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for making us